Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. Regular listeners will recall that back in September, we devoted a news segment to the season premiere of Survivor, which saw pro poker player Ronnie Barda become the first contestant voted out. Last night was the three-hour season finale, and no spoilers for any listeners who might have it waiting for them on their DVRs, uh, but this has been widely regarded as maybe the worst season of Survivor ever, uh, complete with a sexual harassment subplot that drained most of the fun out of watching. Uh, So, John, I just want to say congratulations to you. You are the big winner here for quitting after one episode. Eric, how did you know I quit after one episode? I mean, I I did, but but how did you know? (laughs) I I think I I think you said when we recorded that you intended to at least so i assumed yeah yeah so you know i watched the first rocky movie i thought it was really good sylvester Stallone, 1970s you know i enjoyed it and then i moved on i didn't watch the other ones um wow. i watched the first season of survivor i liked it a lot and i moved on um last month i missed my 40th high school reunion actually uh, keeping that streak unbroken um i moved on <laughs> uh it's kind of just how i roll <laughs> Wow, so you have not seen a single Rocky sequel. Have you at least seen like the fight at the end of Rocky Two, or not? Or I assume you know you know at least some results, even if you haven't seen the movie. No, I hear about what Apollo Creed and uh, son of Apollo Creed, or son of the <laughs> Russian guy, or a Russian guy, or something about a mountain uh, running up a mountain, or whatever. Right. Yeah, no, I hear things, but I I never watched them. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, for what it's worth, the latest one, the Creed Two, I thought was terrible, but uh, and <laughs> actually most of the Rocky sequels. Uh, if they're not terrible, they at least have terrible moments in in almost all of those movies. But, you know, parts of Rocky 2 work. Rocky 4 is kind of fun. The first Creed, not bad. Rocky Balboa, half a good movie. But, yeah, I think uh, you can you can continue to live life having never seen any of them and uh, not be missing uh, anything other than just kind of some useless pop culture. Uh, and I will. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking speaking of useless pop culture, have you ever gotten into any reality shows that you said you watched the first season of Survivor? Are you like a secretly a fan of the Real Housewives or anything like that? Oh, boy, that's brutal. They got the <laughs> honesty to. Um, yeah, I, I do tape The Bachelor. Oh, there it is. There it is. <laughs> Outed. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah, that's rough. But you know, I I can't lie. I gotta be honest. That's yeah. It's uh, there's something about human nature and and study of people that actually works with that show. Um, but I'm not proud of it. <laughs> okay. All right. Good for you for admitting it. That's the kind of honesty that uh, that the listeners get here on Gamble On. And uh, speaking of those listeners, thank you all for joining us for episode number 70 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 69 episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud and on iTunes and the Apple Podcast app. Please subscribe, rate, and review. A five-star review from you to us is the most inexpensive gift you will get anyone this holiday season. So please get in the spirit and give us that five-star rating. Oh, I like that. Uh, yeah, coming up a little later on the show, we're going to be joined by Lloyd Danzig. Uh, he penned an article for SportsHandle.com a couple of weeks ago that was exploring the controversial new tout service, Jambos Picks. Uh, that's an article that sparked a wide range of reactions. Uh, Lloyd crunched the numbers, drew some interesting conclusions. So looking forward to talking to him and digging even deeper into what is and isn't true and Jambos guarantees and their claims. Um, but first, it's been kind of another busy week in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling.
It's been a big week for state-by-state revenue reports, and we're going to focus in our first two news items on the two major East Coast gaming states, New Jersey and Pennsylvania. First, let's look at your home state, John, New Jersey. Just after we recorded last week's podcast, the NJDGE released the numbers and the previous record of $487.9 million in sports betting handle set in October got crushed as New Jersey passed the half billion dollar mark with room to spare and generated $562.7 million in handle. Uh, Another record. 86.5% of those wagers were made via online and mobile sports books. Uh, The Meadowlands slash FanDuel combo was still by far number one in the state. Uh, And by the way, for the year, New Jersey is now past the $4 billion mark in betting handle. Hmm. There are lots of other numbers to explore here, of course. What are your big takeaways, John? Uh, And you'll recall that last month I said New Jersey might beat Nevada in November because Thanksgiving weekend isn't a trip to Vegas kind of weekend. So what do you think the chances are that Nevada will indeed come in lower than Jersey? Uh, yeah, I'll make a call on that. I say Nevada wins November. Okay. Um, they're going to they're gonna win every football month. Um, Thanksgiving be damned, well, so to speak. I don't really <laughs> damn it, but uh, it'll win anyway. Uh, now, big key, I think, is the, the books in Jersey took in $33 million. That's an increase of more than 50% over October, which also had a big handle. So uh, if you don't gamble, uh, okay, then you probably aren't listening to this podcast. But, but you can tell your loved ones who don't gamble, I guess, um, that, hey, the state made a lot more of a tax revenue in November. Uh, it's about four million, which pays for. Yeah, it's not a lot, All right? But also <laughs> notable, I would say, is revenues from New Jersey online casino games, including poker, was forty nine million. So while the more ballyhooed sports figure, you know, sports betting figure was big, it was only about two thirds that of online casino. Yeah, that's an important thing to point out is how the the online casino uh, market is, is just thriving in, in New Jersey and getting bigger and bigger all the time. Um, you, you wrote a separate article, John, uh, sort of the follow up to your sports betting revenue article where you explored some of the other revenue t- trends. And you noted uh, that Ocean Casino Resort is up 67 percent year over year in terms of total gaming revenue. I, I thought that was uh, an interesting thing to focus on. I wonder if Ocean might just find a way to survive yet or, or or it could just be creative accounting going on for all we know. Uh, well, I wouldn't say that, but I would say <laughs> that the the uh, the rumor mill about you know who's next, who goes down, and all that uh, it's quieted certainly on Ocean. Uh, right. they, they're doing something right. Right. Um, and just back to sports betting, it's interesting to note that uh, even as we focus on how well online betting is doing, brick and mortar sports betting just had its best month ever. Also, uh, but it does feel like we're getting close to a mature market in New Jersey. Like I, I can't imagine the peak is too much higher than this uh we'll, we'll see but especially whenever if and whenever new york comes aboard with online betting <laughs> new jersey figures to be on the decline after that uh yeah they might lose oh about 100 million of that 500 million <laughs> right all right so moving on now to pennsylvania uh there are really two big stories here one is sports betting, where the handle is continuing to trend upward, jumping 31.2% to $316.5 million. Online wagering makes up 84.3% of the volume, so PA is almost as lopsided now as New Jersey in that regard. And FanDuel is dominating in Pennsylvania just as it is, as it is in New Jersey, taking in 56.1% of all online dollars, despite new competition in the state from DraftKings. The other big story out of the Pennsylvania report is online poker, as we now have the numbers for the first partial month of play on PokerStars. From November 4th to 30th, 
PokerStars raked in $1.965 million in revenue, about 30% more than all three New Jersey poker sites combined earned in the full month of November. Uh, And that number should go up substantially in December due to the P-A-C-O-O-P or P-A-Coop series. Uh, John, in terms of sports betting, poker or both, what stands out to you from this Pennsylvania revenue report? Yeah, you know, New Jersey online poker was down yet again in November to $1.5 million. Uh, for a few years, I used to think of the Jersey Island Poker as being kind of stagnant because they're exactly around $2 million each month, so that's all they could do. And it turns out those were the glory days. Who knew? Um, and for those who live along the NJPA border, uh, you know, NJ's not going to win that tug-of-war anytime soon. So I'd say let's get the compact implemented and be done with it, but – New Jersey's uh, position at the table is is a lot weaker. Pennsylvania was always going to be bigger and stronger. But if they had gotten something done earlier, I think, you know, Pennsylvania might be thinking, well, we're not sure about our volume. So, you know, we add New Jersey. It makes it better for all of us. But Pennsylvania does. They kick ass, frankly, uh, by themselves. And so they'll take New Jersey, I'm sure. But I wonder if they get a nice little advantage over it. Yeah, you know, I'm actually working on an article as we speak that I'm hoping to get done and posted today all about shared liquidity. And I talked to some sources in Pennsylvania, nothing too revealing. uh, And I guess I I won't spoil the article anyway. But, uh, you know, things things are being discussed, um, but it doesn't seem seem like there's huge urgency to make that shared liquidity happen uh, too soon. Um, I'll I'll mention also that uh, online casino is growing across the board at all sites in Pennsylvania, but the total revenue there for November was 9.66 million. Uh, again, there's growth, but that's still only about one fifth of that number that you just mentioned a couple minutes ago from New Jersey, that staggering $49.1 million figure. Um, it's interesting that the PokerStars Casino in Pennsylvania only made about half as much in revenue as the PokerStars poker site did. Uh, and Casino games are higher margin, but I, I guess the poker players are largely there to play poker and not to give their winnings back at blackjack or, or slots. Uh, that seems seems like, uh, so far at least, uh, a lot of them are resisting the urge to uh, play the casino games. Uh, then they're, they're there for the poker. Yeah, that's kind of what happened in New Jersey. Uh, online poker was all the focus when it was legalized in 2013. And oh, by the way, you can bet these other you know games and uh, casino games online and then uh, so it took the marketplace a lot longer to figure out oh i can play online slots online blackjack online roulette online whatever it took literally a couple of years Hmm. uh, but eventually it happened and uh, eventually pennsylvania is going to have huge numbers there right all right our third and final story this week is not about revenue uh it's something a little different and strange and fun uh it's about a specific promotion FanDuel ran in indiana this week the sportsbook ran something called an updated spread promo on the monday night football game between the saints and colts the saints opened as eight point favorites it moved to eight and a half by game day and then FanDuel announced they would move the spread one point for every 250 bettors who bet on the Colts with a maximum bet size of $50. So the line started moving. Thousands of people in Indiana started betting the Colts, first at mildly favorable odds in the low double digits, then at crazy odds in the high teens, the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, and by game time, the Colts were plus 51 at FanDuel. Uh, the idea, obviously, was to give away a lot of money and get positive publicity and make betters feel great about playing at FanDuel. Except then Drew Brees went out and broke records, and the Saints won 34-7. So everybody who bet on the Colts before they got up to, up to 27 points lost, and FanDuel just about broke even on all those Colts bets. Uh, the updated spread 
it's a fun promo idea. Um, John, did this outlier outcome kind of ruin it, or do you expect FanDuel to roll it out again as they're seeking new customers in new states? And uh, just curious, uh, from your position as a as a uh, low stakes better, at what point spread would you have thought the Colts were too good a value not to bet? Yeah, I think for that game, I I would have probably taken 14 and a half, but I wouldn't have done it, but um, <laughs> right. yeah, I, I would have bitten there. Uh, but nobody can beat the promotion that took place earlier this year in New Jersey. Um, you win your bet as long as the Jets score a point. Uh, and then they played the Patriots and they didn't score a point. So, <laughs> yeah. Ouch. Uh, the next one they had was the next debut of uh, R.J. Barrett. Uh, will he score a point in his debut, which is kind of easier, uh, not playing the Patriots. And he did. So that one. Um, okay. But fear not, kids. Uh, you'll get your chance at a FanDuel gimmick just as soon as your state goes live. <laughs> um, yeah, you, you, you went with the 14 and a half. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely I was thinking that's where it hit ridiculous value anywhere past 14. Yeah. And so uh, I probably would have been inclined to bet it even once it got past 10. But uh, so I would have lost money if I was in Indiana, uh, even though uh, I was on the right side of the game without the promo as I picked New Orleans in the fast five. Um, But it's an interesting test of patience for betters. You know, you see it at like 18 points or something. Can you resist and hold off until it's double that, hoping that they don't pull the promo at a certain point? Uh, kind of interesting. And uh, yeah, you got to feel a little bad for those people who got there in the 20s and thought they had a sure thing. Uh, yeah, I do. I, <laughs> I don't think it's going to matter in the end. They got the publicity and people got the app and now it's in their phone. And so there's a game next week. And so they'll give it a shot. Right. But it's just funny that, you know, you mentioned that the, when the Jets failed to score a point, you know, <laughs> sometimes you can't give money away even when you try on these sites. You can't control <laughs> exactly. the outcome. But I love this promotion. Kudos to whoever came up with it. I have to give FanDuel a lot of credit for the creativity on this one. Yeah, I think they'll do it again, and that will tell you that the, uh, the idea was pretty good. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. On December 4th, our sister site, Sports Handle, ran an article written by Lloyd Danzig about Jambo's Picks, a controversial tout service helmed by former Philadelphia Phillies pitcher Michael Schwimmer. The article crunched quite a few numbers and concluded that Jambo's advertisements are misleading to potential customers, and Schwimmer's response to the article on social media was not exactly favorable. Uh, We hope to have both Danzig and Schwimmer on the podcast this week to debate the issue, But Schwimmer declined the invitation. We are happy, however, to be joined by Lloyd to break it all down. Lloyd is the founder and CEO of sports gaming business and investment consultancy Sharp Alpha Advisors and the chairman and founder of the nonprofit Iced AI, in addition to doing a little writing for Sports Handle in his spare time. Lloyd, welcome to Gamble On. Thanks so much for having me, Eric and John. I've been a big fan of the podcast since episode one. Uh, Grew up in Bergen County, so John and I share that connection. It's just an absolute pleasure to be here. Cool. Well, we we were wondering who was a fan of the podcast. I'm glad we finally found that person. Uh, but so take us behind the creation of the article a, a bit. How did Jambos come across your radar? How long did you spend working on this massive article that involved quite a bit of math and graphics? And what contact did you have with Schwimmer slash Jambos while working on the piece? Yeah, so I first came across Jambos in a Bloomberg article this summer. I think it was the end of August. And their $10,000 financial guarantee is what really caught my eye. 
And I think, you know, the reality is just that building a predictive engine that can outperform Vegas is a really, really, really difficult thing to do, even for really smart people with a ton of resources. And I was especially surprised that Schwimmer seemed to be successfully leveraging some Wall Street ties, especially because people have been trying to do the same thing, but by selling stock picks for ages and are usually met with the same objections that touts are in the sports betting space. So my initial assumption based on admittedly absolutely nothing, was that they had some plan to avoid paying their liabilities in case the, the system proved unprofitable, but decided to just kind of sit back, watch the conversation unfold on Twitter and a few other platforms. And what became very quickly apparent was not necessarily that Schwimmer was intentionally misleading prospective investors or customers, but that certainly the advertisements simply did not remotely correspond to the economic reality of becoming a subscriber. And not only this, but in a small corner of the Twitterverse, people seem very frustrated by this fact, but just unable to articulate it. And I became aware of two particular metrics that were key points of, of contention. The Jambos historical record for a time during which picks were not published and the way in which return investment, ROI, is calculated. And part of the Jambos pitch is that they use analytics backed by algorithms. That's a phrase of theirs, which, by the way, is definitely not a phrase anyone with actual analytics experience would ever use. But, but I digress. By the way, you, you can search for that in quotes on Google, and you'll see the only places it's ever mentioned is in Jambos' advertising and my article quoting those ads. Uh, but anyway, the, the bigger thing is they say their models have been, and I quote, verified to pick at 59.38%. And many people really doubted the authenticity of this figure, but my article focused just more on saying how statistically unlikely it was that a model which was truly that accurate would be performing as poorly as it has this season. To me, it doesn't matter if this is because the historical results were fabricated or because the market has changed so much that the model is no longer relevant. Either way, the conclusion is that people should not take that metric as an indication of future accuracy. And Schwimmer seemed to already be backpedaling and talking about how he never claimed that this level of accuracy was indicative of future success. But people's response was basically, okay, so why are you using it in your advertisements? And anyone who's following the Jambo saga will be familiar with this alleged letter from an accounting firm, prestigious accounting firm called Cone Resnick, that Schwimmer claims is a verification of this historical performance. And the Jambos website advertised that anyone could obtain this report by emailing a specified address, which I did from an email address that does not bear my name. And I also started doing some math, gathering some Twitter screenshots in case posts started getting deleted. And as days went by, it really became more and more clear to me just how misleading the Jambos advertisements were, even if accidentally so. And once I saw beyond any reasonable doubt the potential financial harm that people could sustain. I reached out to Brett over at Sports Handle, asked if he'd be interested in publishing. And once I completed the article and saw I never received any such Cone Resnick letter, uh, we decided to publish. Okay. And just uh, the one question there about any contact with Schwimmer in the buildup to the article, I guess you tried to reach out um, or what? So was I, I tried to reach out to okay. Jambos, absolutely, for okay. this letter. Uh, Sports Handle and I discussed and something that Schwimmer had criticized, uh, Schwimmer quickly responded on Twitter asking why Sports Handle had not reached out for comment. Right. Uh, and I'll tell you that that was not a decision that was not, not made with thought behind it. Uh, Brett had had some experience. They and Sports Handle wrote an article on Jambos earlier in the year, and Schwimmer didn't seem to have much of a response to it. And in addition, 
all of the information that I attribute to Jambos is stuff that Schwimmer adamantly stands by on Twitter. So it's not even a game of he said, she said, where Schwimmer might have a counter argument. I'm simply explaining why the arguments that Schwimmer has made in public forums do not hold mathematical ground. Gotcha. All right. Yeah, Lloyd, you talked about intent a little bit. Um, uh, first off, uh, do you have any uh, confidence level in whether this was deliberate or perhaps accidental? And in the end, does it really matter if um, the system doesn't work? Yeah, great question. So I'll say, first of all, I think what happens a lot these days, we see all these specials on CNBC on fraudulent companies. And I think what happens is a lot of people do start with the noblest of intentions, and then they get into a financial bind and they say, I'm just going to do this little fraudulent thing to cover up this small cash shortfall. And then that snowballs into others. But I'll say, I think one of the most fascinating things about this story is this exact question. And though it's impossible to know for sure, my take is that Schwimmer genuinely believes that he is making accurate representations of the service he's selling. Now, what's impossible to say is whether the ideas are his own and simply misguided or if they're derived from another source that he's putting perhaps blind faith in. But the second part of your question is the most important part. Regardless of intention, you know, is there still uh, some danger here? And the answer, and that is why I wrote the article, is absolutely yes. So first of all, obviously, if people who reasonably would expect to be reimbursed by the guarantee end up not being reimbursed in a case where the platform is not profitable, that would be highly problematic. But I understand that there were very few subscribers to the 17-week packages, and I do think Schwimmer actually plans to pay those people out. It really is the way he calculates and therefore advertises ROI that is so fundamentally divorced from any definition that a reasonable person would apply in this scenario that causes the potential for financial harm. And this is all crystallized in a Jambos tweet from November 1st, where they stated that people who were in the 17-week packages were at the time up about $6,000 on $30,000 invested after fees and guarantees. And he then calculates an ROI number, the 6,000, the amount that they won is the numerator, and the 30,000, the amount invested is the denominator. And, and I'll break this down briefly now, but my article certainly goes into far more detail. It turns out that the numerator uh, was actually calculated because if you were subscribing and following all the picks, you'd be down $1,000 and you'd have paid $3,000 for the privilege. So you'd be down $4,000. And then Schwimmer adds in the yet to be paid $10,000 guarantee and says, ah, all my subscribers are up $6,000. And let's just say many people were less than thrilled to learn that this is how that calculation was done. For the denominator though, so public data shows that Jambos had suggested about 700 picks at this point, and they recommend a suggested bet of $300 per pick. So very basic math would say, all right, $300, 700 picks, that's about $210,000 that I would expect to have wagered or invested. But Jambos says the total amount is $30,000. And this is the part that I think my, my article goes into a lot more detail about. But essentially, what I'm not sure he even realizes is that the 30000 really represents the minimum amount of cash a person could have had on hand to place all of the recommended bets if and only if the wins and losses occurred in the exact sequence that they did. Hmm. If a person started with that thirty k and the same exact games were won and lost at the same exact odds, just in a different order, they could easily deplete their entire bankroll within just a few weeks, at which point they'd need to 
get more cash to continue playing the Jambos picks, resulting in a different ROI value. And in my opinion, if a calculation like ROI produces two different outputs in two equally likely scenarios, it's probably not good to rely on. And just for reference, you know, a series of 700 games, 700 picks that can either be won or lost, ignoring pushes for a second, can unfold in two to the power of 700 different sequences. And just to give you an idea of what an incomprehensibly large number that is, there are two to the 265th power atoms in the entire universe. So this is a number of sequences that so far eclipses the number of atoms in the universe that it's incomprehensible. And thus to me, the key danger is that the advertisements could easily cause a person to A, severely underestimate the amount of cash they need on hand to engage in these series of investments, and B, to expect the volatility of the returns over the period during which they are subscribed. And if this were occurring with registered securities, the SEC would have shut Jambos down in about three seconds at the maximum. And frankly, I'd imagine that if the FTC got wind of what Schwimmer was doing and understood it, they would probably do the same and probably a topic for another day. But I think there's going to be a clear need for regulation of some sort in this subspace of the gaming industry. Wow. Cra- crazy numbers uh, to <laughs> think about there. Um, and, you know, I-, I know that the article you wrote got a fair amount of response. Certainly, uh, we touched a little bit on, on how Schwimmer, you couldn't get a hold of him beforehand, but we heard from him afterward. Um, what sort of response did you get in general, not from Schwimmer, but just from the gambling public uh, to the piece? And then specifically between you and Schwimmer, uh, what can you tell us about the post-publication discourse? So I expected at least some response to the article, particularly on Twitter, because I had been seeing frustrations mount over the course of months, but I definitely was not expecting the piece to reach the level of visibility that it did. And I'd say that I received an enormous amount of feedback and support from, I'll say, two sets of people. Some were just industry stakeholders or members of my network who appreciated the objective, data-driven, unemotional perspective from which the article was written. But the other, much more animated segment were people who had personal and or financial bones to pick with Schwimmer. And man, they flooded my inbox with offers to provide all sorts of screenshots and proof of this and incriminating evidence of that. And I chose not to pursue any of that because I think that we can very easily make sufficient claims based on the math alone that show how dangerous this type of advertising is. So Schwimmer publicly responded on Twitter a bit angrily and specifically in a way that made me think he either didn't read or didn't understand my article. And for some reason, he chose really to focus on the claim that I had requested the Cohn-Resnick letter and not received a response. I think maybe he was looking for an email address that ended in at sportshandle.com, even though I thought we made it clear that I reached out myself and it wasn't even under my name. But people on Twitter quickly started demanding that he post that letter and Sports Handle asked permission to publish it and he declined both of those. And at the end of the day, he, he promised to post a letter the following day along with his full response to what he called the complete BS article. And what was weird is that the letter that he wrote along with the letter from Cohn Resnick only A, further indicated that he either didn't read or understand my article and B, seemed to just raise some more suspicions. He seemed to think this was going to be a magic wand that would quell all the public's fears about his performance record, and it actually did the exact opposite. It was very generic and said in seemingly deliberately flowery legalese that the firm agrees with management's assertion of the accuracy of the company's models. It doesn't say what that level of accuracy was, how it was computed, or anything that I think would remotely give someone enough peace of mind to trust 
that this was authentic. And as an example, many people have outspokenly suggested that what Jambos did is they used a ton of different models to produce time-stamped picks, and then retroactively chose the one that had the best performance and sent it over to someone at Cone Resnick. Some people allege that it might be a friend of Schwimmer's and say, hey, can you give us a stamp of approval on this one model without noting that there were a host of other models? But again, ultimately, and this is why it was so weird to me that he was so emphatic about this letter, even if they can prove beyond some reasonable doubt that their historical record was as indicated, it does nothing to clear up fears pertaining to the purchase of packages moving forward. And ultimately, I offered to discuss the matter publicly with Schwimmer on ESPN, given that he advertises sort of a role with the Daily Wager. He said this was not something he could make happen and offered me to come on the Jambos podcast. And I thought it made sense to have either some sort of mediated discussion or at least one on neutral turf. And so I was hoping he would be joining me today, but I guess my understanding is he declined the opportunity to come on the show. Right. Now, Lloyd, you got a couple of uh, weeks here, uh, probably some downtime coming up. So would we expect you to see you at a casino or at the rail at a racetrack or, uh, um, you know, a sports book? Uh, You know, uh, I don't really picture you with your knowledge of math being a big roulette or slot machine player. But, uh, you know, what would you do? uh, How much do you gamble and and what would your favorite pastimes of that be? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So you are right. Uh, slot machines and, and roulette are, you know, for, for quick fun, put 50 on black on the way in or out, something like that. But for me, the fact that blackjack allows you to use strategy to lower the house edge and also enjoy the camaraderie of rooting alongside the rest of the table makes it the perfect game. And I feel the same about craps, though, to a slightly lesser degree. Uh, But when it comes to sports, wow, I I probably love every form of betting there is. Uh, I started my first season-long fantasy league back in 2001. I still do that. I do daily fantasy. I place your typical types of sports bets. I do survivor leagues and anti-survivor leagues, uh, a bunch of the free-to-play prediction markets out there. But I'll tell you, my favorite uh, form of sports betting right now is uh, a league that a friend of mine runs where we each pick six NFL games of our own choosing against the spread each week, but we have to confidence rank those picks with the points awarded for a correct pick corresponding uh, to, to that. Hmm. All right. So sounds a little bit like a twist on uh, the famous uh, Raskin and Brennan fast five uh, with a, with a, with a little extra element of having to uh, wait, wait your choices and, and do six instead of five, you, you know, you mixed it up. It's like the six minute abs instead of seven minute abs or whatever the, the line from something about Mary is. Uh, it sounds like fun though. Exactly. Absolutely. And and I got to say, one of the coolest things about this place that I'm situated at in the industry and just seeing things unfold is how many really awesome and new innovative mechanisms there are for expressing your views and predictions for sports and sporting events. And I think the way that people express and engage with fanhood and sports is going to change so radically over the next few years. It it might be unrecognizable, you know, a decade from now, but hopefully for the better and in a really cool way. Yep. Yeah, we're in a very fun business right now where lots of exciting things are happening. Well, uh, thanks so much uh, for joining us on the podcast, Lloyd. It's been great talking to you. Uh, anyone out there wants to find Lloyd on Twitter, he's just at his name, at Lloyd Danzig. Uh, so you can go ahead and give him a follow there. And uh, thanks so much for coming on Gamble On. Thanks for having me. Hope to, to be back soon, maybe uh, with Michael Schwimmer and, and, and actually get to the bottom of this. <laughs> there you go. All right. Thanks, Lloyd. Thanks, guys. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll.
We'll get to the Fast Five shortly, but first we update our betting bankroll, and it was another one of those evenly split weeks. Uh, my five-team NFL teaser lost. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, two of the legs were losers, so I feel less bad about it if I, than if I'd gone four for five. Um, but my Bud Crawford under eight and a half rounds bet won in dramatic fashion with about 45 seconds to spare. Uh, so my net was a win of $5. Uh, John got a $100 win with Navy to cover in the Army-Navy game but took a $106 loss when the international team came up short in the President's Cup. So that's a net of minus $6, and that means together we lost one buck. Uh, <laughs> however, uh, we had a losing futures bet wrap up, uh, and this one is on me. I was confident in the Rams over 10.5 wins. I bet a way too big $300 on it, and <sighs> the best they can do now is 10-6. and six. Uh, So every week I become a little more desperate for Nick Chubb to redeem me. Uh, but we're looking good there. 127 more yards on just 17 carries last week. Uh, I'll quickly note here that our NBA futures mostly look good. Uh, we have the Clippers to win the title at an insane 14-1 to value. We have the Knicks under 29.5 wins. We have the Lakers to finish with more wins than the Raptors. So there's some promise of success awaiting our bankroll in the spring. Uh, but for now... We dropped $301 this week. We're now in the red by $481. And we have $1,350 on hold in futures bets. So that leaves us with $8,169 available to bet this week. And you're up first, John. Uh, thank you for not mentioning my Trailblazers overbet for the season. Um, uh, even <laughs> Carmelo Anthony can't save me there. I don't think. Right. I, I did. I did say uh, I included the word mostly. mostly Our NBA yeah. futures <laughs> yeah. mostly look good. Well, that's why it's mostly uh, kids out there. Um, I'll tell you, my President's Cup pick was an excellent one uh, in the golf. Uh, plus two fifty. No regrets there. You know, after a, kind of a final round, international team uh, fade into a brutal sixteen to fourteen loss. Uh, but I mean, that was great value. Um, like I said. No regrets. Uh, bet number one, you know, Eric, as you know, no doubt know, there's probably about a dozen college football games between now and our next show. So let me try this one. First out of the gate is Friday afternoon's Bahamas Bowl with Buffalo and Charlotte facing off. Uh, you can throw out the record books with this one because uh, I don't think there are any record books because I doubt they've ever played each other before. I don't know why they would. So uh, Charlotte has rushed for 200-plus yards in eight games this season, and I said they'd do it again while upsetting the Buffalo Bulls. Uh, I'm going to go 60 to win 177, so it's even, uh, at this plus one, 195 money line. All right. I like it. Uh, last week, I contributed to the NJ.com props article for the Sunday mm -hmm. night game between the Steelers and Bills, and my article was all about pounding every under. Uh, I wish I'd done some of that with our bankroll because almost every under in that game hit. Uh, well, I expect more of the same this week with the Bills and Patriots. Second time meeting each other this season, both good defenses, both struggling offenses. Even though the line is low at 37 and a half, I just can't see many scenarios where they surpass that. Uh, the line was 36 and a half in Bills Steelers, and I went under, and the final tally was 27 points. So let's put our money behind that same sort of game here. Uh, and at FanDuel, the under is even money. So uh, we're risking 100 to win 100. That sounds good. Uh, now, Monday night, I'm willing to give 17 and a half points with Central Florida in a home game, basically over Marshall and the Gasparilla Bowl. Uh, Marshall's in West Virginia, if you didn't know, if you didn't see the movie. Um, and those kids will be looking forward to a flight home on Christmas Eve the next day, uh, a lot more so than trying to cover in this one. So 110 to win 100 uh, minus 17 and a half with Central Florida. Okie doke. Uh, for my second bet, I was thinking about the Raiders' money line against the Chargers, which was plus 260, a, a great price for a game that I think either team can win. 
but Josh Jacobs isn't playing. So uh, I've decided to pass on that, even as the price ticks upward to plus 290. Uh, Instead, I'm going to go with boxing. Undefeated 22-year-old British heavyweight prospect Daniel Dubois is minus 10,000 to beat Japan's Kayataro Fujimoto on Saturday in London. Uh, not going to bet uh, at that price. Uh, he's minus 2,000 to win by knockout. Uh, not going to bet at that price either, but he is going to win by knockout, and he's going to do it early. This is a total mismatch, and Dubois is a puncher. I found Dubois listed at plus 200 to win by knockout in the first round. I don't know if I've ever seen a price that low for a KO1, a fight where the books really don't expect the opponent to make it past a round or two. I think that's actually still good value here, though, at plus 200. So let's take a shot. 100 to win 200 on a first-round KO for Dubois. At the very least, should be an exciting three-minute sweat. (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) All right. We finish with the fast five where I remain on track for my possible comeback. Uh, I was down three and a half games with four weeks (sighs) to go. So the goal was one game a week. And I've done exactly that so far. Uh, I won our head to head on Tampa and Detroit last week. And that made the difference as I went three and two and John went two and three. So John remains in the lead with a record of 41, 31 and three. And I'm a game and a half back at 39, 32 and four. And it's my turn to go first. And I'll hope that you don't just make the exact same five picks as me, although certainly you're right to do that according to the rules. Uh, but anyway, here goes. Um, wait, wait, let me let me jump sure, in here. Sure, sure. Go uh, ahead. Yeah, I already have my five picks, and these are the hills I'm willing to die on. Uh, okay. I'm not big on strategery, so <laughs> whatever it is, it is. It might help me, might hurt me, but uh, I'll stand by my guns. Okay, good. And I, I figured you would probably play it that way. Uh, may, you know, Maybe you'd have like one or two wild cards you were considering uh, switching up, depending on what I picked. But uh, okay, cool. Uh, I do not promise to do the same next week. If I'm down by like four and a half games, I'm just Understood. taking the opposite sides of all of your picks and hoping to go five for five. But um, for this week, uh, I actually had 11 sides that I kind of liked, uh, four of which I thought you were likely to pick. So, uh, you know, there's added layer to my guessing game here. Um, I still have one pick among my five that I think you're likely to make, but we'll see. Anyway, I'm starting with one Saturday game. The Bucks are getting three points at home against the Texans. I know Tampa is becoming depleted at receiver, uh, but still, they're playing well, they're peaking, and Football Outsiders weighted DVOA stat, with an emphasis on how a team has been performing lately, actually has the Bucks as the number 11 team in the league right now, and Houston all the way down at number 21. The Bucks just need to keep it close for me. I'm taking Tampa, uh, getting three points. Next up, another team that started the season slowly but now looks competent. Give me the Falcons favored by seven at home against a Jaguars team that has probably been the worst team in the league over the past month or so. They stumbled into a win in Oakland last week. I don't see it happening again. They have the 29th ranked defense. Going to be tough to contain the Falcons offense in Atlanta. Uh, This next one might sound contrarian at first because this is a scary moment to pick against the Saints. But I like the Titans as three-point dogs at home. Uh, Drew Brees ain't going 29 for 30 again. And while the Saints are motivated, you know, they're playing for a playoff seeding and a possible bye, Tennessee is playing for its playoff life. They had their little stumble last week against Houston, but that game contained an early 14-point swing on the weird fumble interception inside the one-yard line that went 90 yards the other way to set up a score. And they still came back to lose by just three. I think the Titans are a good team. 
I think they can win outright against the Saints or at least lose by just a point or two. Uh, Next, I'm going to go to the team that the Saints just blew out, the Colts. Uh, I think they have to bounce back from that one. And who better to do it against than the Panthers and their new rookie quarterback, Will Greer? Uh, Indy's at home. They're playing for pride. I would expect a couple of bad turnovers from Greer and maybe expect the Panthers to try not to run Christian McCaffrey into the ground in a meaningless game. Uh, So I like the Colts to cover the seven-point spread. And my last pick is the one I suspect is on your list, the Cardinals getting nine and a half in Seattle. It's just a simple case of Arizona being a frisky underdog that tends to keep it close and Seattle almost never winning by more than one score of their 11 wins. Exactly one of them was by more than eight points. Granted, that was against Arizona, uh, and that's maybe why this line is so high. But division game, second time seeing each other, I think it'll be closer this time. So how did I do in avoiding your five picks? Uh, well, uh, we matched one, but not the one you thought. And, okay. uh, there's, there's another little twist. So, uh, uh, first of all, I have to admit, I got killed by the Rams and the Dolphins last week. Uh, probably two of my three worst picks of the year. That was, that was rough. I feel like I'm running out of steam a little too early, just like last year, <laughs> but, but I'm going to try two Saturday contests. Um, the bills plus six and a half at the Patriots. Um, the bills have won me over finally. And there's something rotten in the state of new England. Um, the Patriots are going to win the division anyway, but I like the outright upset there. Hmm. And then, uh, Texans minus three at Buccaneers. You like that? Ooh, yes, um, I do. Yeah, Jameis Winston's really banged up. So part of this is thinking he can't last 60 minutes against the Texas defensive line. Um, possibly missing your left tackle is no prize for Winston either. So um, kind of banking on that. Uh, and, yeah, I need that one. <laughs> uh, next is, yeah, Falcons minus seven versus Jaguars. You're not picking up any ground there. Okay. Um Atlanta never was as bad a team as I seemed off that dreadful start. And the Jaguars got their last one of the season last week. So they're done. We grand that. Um, Ravens minus 10 at Browns. Uh, you know, I hate giving double digit points on the road in a division game. It's brutal. Uh, but the Browns are just a complete mess. Uh, and the wide receivers, Beckham and Landry, are both wounded and uninterested. Um, looking for Odell to drag down the whole mood here mm-hmm. and get me a cover. Um, finally, it's your Eagles plus two and a half points at home against the hated Cowboys uh, who always find a way to lose the big one. And especially coming off a solid win, uh, Dak Prescott as a Wednesday is trying to shake off a sore shoulder. And if he can't go, I'll be sitting pretty. I mean, backup Cooper rush. He sounds like one of the uptight frat boys from animal house. Ah, <laughs> uh, damn you may forcing me to root for one of your picks. Uh, <laughs> not a, not, not a nice thing to do there, John, but, uh, all right, I'll root for the other ones to fail and that one to deliver, I guess. And that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Lloyd Danzig. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. And a quick note that we will be posting the podcast early next week due to the holiday. Expect next week's Gamble On, which will include some gambling year and review discussion, to drop on Tuesday, December 24th. And with that, John, please take us out. Uh, well, it's time for 40 college football ball games to start and one championship game, by the way, um, also kicking off. So in their honor, here's my list of the dopiest bowl names. And I am not making any of these up, I promise. Mark. <laughs> um, the Military Bowl presented by Northrop Grumman. Uh, I wonder what the player gifts are on that one. I don't know. Um, <laughs> The Franklin American Mortgage Music City Ball to our friends in Nashville. Um, San Diego County Credit Union Holiday Bowl. The Nova Home Loans Arizona Bowl. 
the the lending tree ball. I, I think I'm starting to see a trend here. I'm not sure, but <laughs> apparently people uh, who watch these games either are not good with money or at least they need to mortgage themselves or something. Um, then the Cherubundi Boca Raton ball. I Ooh. don't know what that is. Nope. Um, the Tropical Smoothie Cafe Frisco ball. Hmm. Now that's in Texas, not Northern California, by the way. Nobody yeah. in, in nobody there says that. Uh, next we got the Cheese It ball. Uh, this one will be higher, but I'm a lifelong member of Team Cheese Nip, so I, I couldn't make it number one. But Cheese It Ball is pretty awesome. I mean, I, I have to admit, others could place it a little higher than three. Um, Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl, that's pretty good <laughs> or bad. Uh, and finally, the bad the bad boy mowers Gasparilla Bowl, uh, which I bet on earlier, so the joke's really on me. And with that, happy holidays to all, and until next time, gamble on. <laughs>